0: We are in the 16th chapter of the book of Revelation. And it is an incredible chapter. In fact, it's going to take this Sunday and next Sunday to get through this incredible chapter. Now, the book of Revelation is easy to find, as I've said over and over again. It's between the book of Jude and your everlasting future. The last book in your New Testament, the book of Revelation. And this chapter is just filled with all kinds of incredible stuff. Let's stand for the read of God's Word. Revelation chapter 16. This is a great chapter. In fact, in verse 1, it says there was a great voice that came out of heaven or out of the temple. In verse 9, it says there's great heat that scorched men. In verse 12, it talks about the great river Euphrates drying up. In verse 14, it talks about the great day of God Almighty. Verse 17, it talks about a great voice out of the temple. Verse 18, it talks about a great earthquake so great that Jerusalem disintegrated into three parts. Mountains disappeared, islands disappeared, and the earth was totally shaken. Verse 19, we see that great Babylon has fallen. Verse 21, we see the word, a great hail. You say, why did they call it a great hailstorm? Because they were 100 pounds apiece. And then it says in verse 21 that not only a great hailstorm, but the plague was exceedingly great. The air was filled with the judgment of God. Now, if you have the mentality when you read the book of Revelation that, yeah, God, get them. Get them, God. That's an Old Testament mentality. God doesn't have that mentality. Nor should we have that mentality. God is a good God. God is a holy God. God is a merciful God. And and when you read chapter 16, you might, lose sight of that, that God is a good God, a merciful God, a powerful God. But, so that's the purpose of the message this morning, to get our perspective correct concerning this last, and by the way, these are the seven vows of the wrath of God. They're the seven last plagues of the bowls of the wrath of God. They go quickly. They, they escalate like an avalanche. They go one after, one after another. These happen at the last few months of the great tribulation period. Maybe a year or so, but it it, it comes very quickly. And you say, why does it come so quickly? Because the planet can't live and survive under these great outpourings of the wrath of God. Jesus has to come back to rescue the planet and rescue the little remnant that's left to give deliverance to the nation of Israel and others that are alive on the planet during this great upheaving. And so, I'm going to read two verses, or actually three verses to you. We're going to back up to verse 8 of chapter 15. That last verse, we're going to read verse 1 of chapter 16, and then verse 17. And we're going to fill in the blanks a little bit as we go. We won't be able to take in all the seven um, vows of the wrath of God, because it takes in the drying up of the great Euphrates. It takes in the, um, the attack of, from, the, from the east against Israel. So we're going to be looking at some of that next week. And we're going to be looking at some of the nations that are going to come against Israel. And let me say this real quickly. And I realize I don't, I don't ever say anything real quickly. I understand that. But let me say this uh, to you. You know, we've all heard the word Armageddon, haven't we? Did you know it's only one time in the Bible, Armageddon? It's in this chapter 16. You find the phrase of Armageddon mentioned as um, Megiddo in the Old Testament. Now, hear me Armageddon, Arm means a mountain. Geddon means the valley, takes in Jezreel, takes in the Je- valley of Jehoshaphat, takes in the Hebron Valley, and, and, uh, and all the other battles that took place in that large area of many miles wide and many miles long. In fact, the scripture says that blood will flow to the horse's bridle during that battle. Remember this. The battle itself really don't take place in that valley. That's where all the armies gather to come against Israel and to resist the person of Jesus Christ when he returns. Today we have people that resist the catching away of the church. They mock it, they make fun of it. One day, there's gonna, we're going to be gone, and one day the world's going to resist the second coming of Jesus Christ because people don't want to acknowledge God as their King and Savior. And, you know, I said that a long time ago, and I have to say amen to the Scriptures. So we're looking at two verses, and we're going to—actually three verses—back up to verse 8 of chapter 15, and it says, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Verse 1, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways, and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Now notice verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, And there came a great voice, the same voice in chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 16, same voice, it's the voice of God. There came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. I want to use for a subject this morning, where is God in all this? You may be seated. Where is God in all this? Now, as I mentioned last Sunday, the angels vacated the temple of God in heaven. There's a temple, uh, was a temple in Israel. It's not there now. But, and we are the temple of God as uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But there is an actual temple in heaven. In that temple is the throne of God. God sits on the throne in the holiest place. In that holiest of holy, God sits on a throne. And we find in the verse 5, 6, 7 in this chapter 15 that the temple is vacated. Angels evacuate the temple. The only one left in that temple in verse 8 is God Almighty. Verse 8 says that the glory of God filled the temple with the smoke, or the smoke from the glory of God. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And then a great voice came in verse 1 out of the temple, saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vows on the wrath wrath of God upon the earth. Where is God? According to the Scriptures, at this time of the pouring out of the vows of God, the wrath of God, God is is in his holy temple. God is in the temple. God is in the temple, and I believe he's in the temple because he is very grieved as to what is taking place on earth. I believe God is grieving. He's sorrowful. He's hurting. And he wants to be left alone. He drives everybody out of the temple because God wants to be left alone. And he says to the angels, go on, pour out your vows. It must be, it has to be done. And while they were being poured out upon the earth, God, like Joseph of old, went into an inner chamber and there wept over his brethren and wept over the planet, grieving about what is about to take place. That's the picture you need to see of God. Not the picture of God running wild and and frantic and powerful over the earth. God does everything in a purpose. His anger is to bring justice and righteousness and holiness. And he is not a God of anger out of control. He's a God that's in full control. Amen. God is in his temple. And there he is, he's in that temple awaiting the last destruction of planet Earth, these seven vows of the wrath of God. And at the close of that seventh vow that's poured out, King Jesus will come. He'll come to planet Earth, and he will heal the waters of Earth. He will heal the planet. He will redeem Israel as a nation. He will set up a millennial kingdom. And he will rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords for 1,000 years. And the church will reign and rule with him on the earth for 1,000 years. Amen. Jesus is going to come. He's going to conquer the beast and the false prophet. He's going to conquer the dragon. And when he comes that second time to planet earth, he'll take the beast and the, and the false prophet and cast him into the lake of fire. A thousand years will expire, but during that thousand years, an angel will come and take Lucifer, the devil, the dragon, and chain him for one thousand years in the bottomless pit. And then after that millennial reign, will come uh, another battle. And it will be so lightly spoken of in the scriptures that it's kind of like a bug whack. It's, it's over. The at- last attack will be over suddenly. Now we need to remember that according to this verse um, uh, 15 in chapter 16, this all is going to happen in a very quick time, a very uh, fascinating time. And I want to I say to you today that our God never changes. He's a God of wrath, yes, but he's a God of great mercy. You've noticed in Revelation, God has tried over and over and over and again to get people to repent of their sin. The last seven vile judgments is actually talking to people that refuse to repent. They've hardened their hearts. They're not going to serve God. In fact, they've hardened their hearts so bad they're going to assemble armies by the deception of demons that look like frogs that gather together in the battle of Armageddon to fight the Lord Jesus Christ. Deceived. You say, well, that's ridiculous. Who, who possibly would be deceived to think they can beat Jesus Christ? Well, I don't know. Are you saved? Well, that's, that's crazy. I, I mean, who would possibly be deceived to the point that they would fight Jesus Christ? Let, let me ask you again. What are you doing about Jesus Christ? Isn't it a little crazy for you to not be saved? Especially in the day we're living? I, just a little side note. How many remember the, recently they, the uh, Baltic Sea was, was um, terrorized, the, 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 the pipeline. The natural gas. I mean, remember that? Been following that? Now, that's very significant for our day. It's very significant because that is the gas line that's going to keep people from freezing in the winter months. Natural gas, Poland, and etc. Russia's not happy about it at all. Have you seen pictures of the Pipeline that's broken, the natural gas that's going up in the Baltic Sea. Have you seen the pictures? You can see them from a satellite. If the Baltic Sea, when you see the pictures, it looks like a boiling pot. It looks like a boiling pot. Job chapter 41, verse 31. God maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the seed like a pot of ointment. Natural gas has its certain minerals, produces a type of ointment. Is that by accident? I think what we're seeing today is a, just a follow-up to the soon return of Jesus Christ. Where is God? Where is God in all this? Well, he's in his temple. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 says, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord. God says to Ezekiel, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Notice, no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Where's God? He's in his temple. Where's God? He's taken seclusion. He's isolated himself. He's waiting for the seven uh, vows of the wrath of God to be poured out because it breaks his heart that he has to do what he's doing. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Not willing. Not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Not willing Why has God taken his own sweet time to come back? Because he's not willing that any should perish. Why has God taken his own sweet time to not come back? Because he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why did God send his son, Jesus Christ? Because he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why does God have a church that's sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ? Because he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why is God going to rapture his church caught into heaven? Because God's getting ready to judge the wicked, but it's not his pleasure to do so. And and, and in return, the church is gone. He sends two witnesses to preach the gospel, even in the church's absence. Then he sends a... 144,000 Jewish evangelists, like Apostle Paul, to preach the gospel. That don't get it done. Plague after plague, the seal, the break, broken seals, and then out of the seventh broken seal comes the seven trumpet judgments, and out of the uh, fourth trumpet judgment comes the woes, and, and then from that, the seven trumpet blows, and the seven vows, uh, uh, the wrath of God comes upon the earth. Wrath. Punishment after punishment, God's trying to say, wake up, you need me. The forest is on fire. Wake up, you need me. Starvation's everywhere. Wake up, you need me. The water's bitter. The, the storms is coming. Famine's coming. Starvation's coming. Plague's are coming. Wake up, you need me. Wake up, you need me. That's what God's saying to everybody in this room. Wake up, you need me. God is saying that, wake up, you need me. God is saying, look, open your eyes, look up. You need a redemption from above who is Jesus Christ, not from some imposter from below. Amen. Where's God in his temple? And there he awaits for each vial to be poured out. And after he's all poured out, in verse uh, uh, 2, um, the first vial it's poured out is a sore that comes upon them. But look at verse 1. A great voice from the temple sends those angels out that the cherubim's brought to the angels to unloose. And God speaks a great voice from the temple. And he says, go get it done. Just, just go. Just go. Leave the presence of my throne. Just go. And God falls into a slumber, a solemn silence. And wrath comes out, and at the end of that cataclysmic wrath of God, as the angel pours out each vial of the wrath of God a bold judgments, when it's done, the seventh angel, verse 17, pours out his vial into the air. The whole atmosphere is crushed. An earthquake comes, and God says a great voice out of heaven, same voice from the throne saying, it is done. Lightnings and thunderings. A great earthquake so severe that it splits Jerusalem in three parts. It is an earthquake so severe that it sinks the islands. It crushes Babylon. It brings the fierceness of the wrath of God. And islands fled away. They disappear. Mountains are gone. Mountains just disintegrated, disappear. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the second Judgment bowl of the wrath of God. And there fell great hail from heaven, every stone. So the earth is pretty much destroyed. And it's sad, but isn't it kind of erroneous that the whole movement of the God rejectors and God uh, Godless people—the whole movement—is save the planet? Isn't it a little erroneous that the whole movement of God, vacant, we don't want God in our means? Now, don't misunderstand. We should take care of our planet. We should clean up after ourselves. We should do things. We should should uh, take care of the environment around us. But I'm just trying to say, it's amazing how they've almost made a religion, their own utopia they want to make. Saying they want to save the planet, and God says, Oh, you want to save the planet? Try this on. Let's see how you do. And the trumpet sounds, and out of that trumpet comes many or angels with the wrath of God. God has no desire. Let me say God is good. Let me say God is good. Where is God in all these judgments? He's in his temple. He's hurting. He doesn't want to do it. He's crushed. He's like Joseph in his inner chamber crying over his brethren. The Bible says that Joseph treated his brothers really harsh. And then finally, when he got his brothers to pretty much repent, he makes them leave and he goes into a chamber and he cries and he wails. And then he wants to spend some time alone with his brethren. A picture of Jesus Christ coming back to earth going to spend some time with his brethren to set up a kingdom with Israel to set up a place where they'll honor God. And so God is in his temple. He's on his throne. No matter what bad happens around us today, God's still on the throne. No matter what happens in the great tribulation, God is still on the throne. It doesn't mean God wants it. It just means that it has to be. It has to be. You know, I believe God was so shook up when he went into the temple before these last... And he knew these last vows of the wrath of God was going to be just incredibly, you know, devastating. God, of course, knows everything. And you read these and you think, how could anyone survive? That's true. I don't know how they could survive. But Jesus comes to rescue them in the end. But I want you to notice in verse 5 and 7, you have... Kind of a cheerleading group, a comforting group to to God. notice the angel pours out his wrath, his bowl, the third angel pours out his bow upon the rivers of water, uh, that's the fresh drinking water, and they became blood. I see no reason for, to believe that that's not literal blood because of uh, exodus 9 10 11 and twelve. That is literal blood. The Nile River was changed to blood, and that's literal blood. Drinking water is turned to blood. And the angel, I like this verse 5, and the angel of the waters say, here's what the angel of the waters said, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. It's almost like the angel is sending word back to the throne. I know why you're doing this. I know it has to be. I love you, God. I believe angels love God too, good angels. And I believe there's angels sending word back to the throne. God, I understand this. Angels understand it more than man because angels sees all the filth over the centuries that's happened among us and all the wickedness. And then another angel in verse seven joins in in verse seven. another out of the throne, out of the altar say, "Even so, Lord, God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments." Do you see how beautiful this is? You've got to see this, because it's important to understand this 16th chapter of Revelation. God is in seclusion. He's there. He doesn't want this to happen. He's alone. He's, he's grieving. He's upset about what he has to do. He knows he's got to do it. And then the angels send word to God. You're righteous. What you're doing is good. What you're doing is a, necess- a necessity. What you're doing must be. Because God is good. And so these angels are sending word back to God. I know you hurt. I know it troubles you, God. I know you're devastated by what you're doing, but the angels say, it has to be done. And we understand it has to be done because you're righteous and you're a holy God. Does that help you a little bit? That ought to really help you a little bit before we get into the real deep stuff of these vials that's poured out. Look at, let's look at how harsh these, vowel, these vials are. The first one went out, and I'll just give you a rundown real quickly. The first vial uh, was poured out upon the earth, and a noisome, grievous sore came upon the men that had taken the mark of the beast. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. The third angel poured out his vow upon the rivers, the fountains of water, and they became blood. That's the drinking water. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art, which was, which shall be, because Thou hast judged us. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and Thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy of their wickedness they've done." Verse 7, I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. See, the thing is, heaven's saying one thing and earth's saying another. See, during this time, earth is saying, God's a bad God. Earth is saying, why is God doing this? God gets to blame for every natural disaster. And so everybody says, where was God when they had the school shooting?" I don't know. Where was he when they kept praying out of school? Where, where was God when a child starves to death in another third world country? Well, I don't know. Where was God when they were robbing the money and it not getting to the, 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 the poor people in the, in the country? God is angry with the unrighteousness and the unjustness of leaders. Where is God when these plagues come? Where is God when the storms come? Where is God? And and so, you know, we we sound it off. I don't understand this. Where is God? Well, he's on his throne. And once you understand, heaven's saying God's a good God, and the church is echoing back to heaven. God's a good God, and the world is saying if there's really a good God, why is there sickness and disease on the earth today? But the church is agreeing with God. God is a good God. And sin has always been the problem. And man has always been the problem. And so the voice of heaven says God is good. The voice of heaven says what God is doing is just. The voice of the church is shouting amen. And the heaven is shouting this is necessary. It needs to be done. And earth all the time gnaws their tongue with pain, grinds and hates God, shakes their fist at God and say, why can't we be our own God? Why can't we breathe the air that God gives us? Why can't we eat the food that God provides for us? Why can't we take the life that God's given us? Why can't we live on this earth without any interference from God. Why can't we be our own God? Why can't we live the way we want to live? Why can't we do what we want to do? Why? I'll tell you why. God is God, and God's going to make us give account for everything we do. And you couldn't get your next breath without the blessing of God. Amen. Amen. Let's look at these bowls. The first one poured out. Now someone was saying, God is getting them there. Well, understand this. God didn't get them. They did something that they shouldn't have done. They took a mark. They took a mark on their forehead or their hand. Wasn't God getting them? I believe that mark is going to cause a nosome and grievous sore. I believe it will be isolated to the mark. If you have a mark on the forehead, a mark on the hand, I believe that's where you'll have the pussy running, grievous sore. And we need to understand that God is in charge of all this, yes. But they're the ones that decided to worship the beast and take the mark. It wasn't God. Now, it's been years, but I understand that they made a chip that you could, you, they could put in your hand. Or, and by the way, Judy was at Walmart when we first started our church 28 years ago. And a man walked into Walmart and, and said to the cashier, Judy was just right there beside him. If it had been me telling it, I'd think it was a lie. But Judy was telling it, and she always tells the truth. And Judy, Judy, this guy bought a bunch of stuff in Walmart 28 years ago when Walmart was downtown by the McDonald's. And, and Judy is getting her stuff, and the guy, went, after they ring up everything, was several hundred dollars, and, and the, the, the woman at the cashier said, will that be a, a credit card, cash, check, whatever? And the guy said, neither. I'll just scan my hand. Now, this was before cell phones were popular. This was before, you know, you had a lot of the, I mean, we were still running around with pagers on our side. Remember that? I mean, remember the pagers. You know, when you get a pager, that says 777, that meant, baby, I love you. But you look at the pager and it says 666. It says, baby, I'm going to kill you. You know, those numbers mean something on them pa- I How many remember them pagers? Remember them pagers? Yeah, yeah, not, you're really old. But anyway, but but here's the deal. Judy is there, and the guy says, oh, you're scanning my hand. And the little gal at the cash register said, well, I've got to get a man- manager because I can't really, you know, uh, authorize this. And so uh, the manager came up and said to the man, What's the problem? He said, well, I told this lady, I just scanned my hand on the scanner, and the bill be paid. And the manager said, well, try it. And the guy took his hand, beep, t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t. paid in full. Now, I'm not saying, you know, the technology at a place now, it may be something else. We don't know what it'll be. You say, well, preacher, what if I've already took the mark of the beast and don't know it? The church is gonna go before then, and, and it's not time yet. Don't worry about that. You can still get your social security check. You're all right. <laughs> Hello. But I'm told when the technology that came out with this chip, they said that the one drawback with the chip in your, behind your forehead or in your hand, the one drawback is if it ever leaked, It would cause a grievous, pussy sore. Now, I don't know if that's it, but I know this. Wherever you got the mark, forehead or hand, that's where the sore is going to be. That's the first vial poured out. The second vial, verse 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as blood of the dead man and Every living soul died in the sea. Now, remember in Revelation chapter 8, verse 8, it was a second trumpet that sounded, and a third, a meteorite, hit the sea, and a third of the sea died. Turned to blood and died. Remember that? A third. But here it says the whole sea dies. The whole sea dies. Now what you need to understand about the sea is the force isn't what produces our most of our oxygen. It's not the force. The ocean produces our, most of our oxygen. They're called little plankton. And when the little plankton gets killed, it won't produce oxygen. The little plankton in the ocean produces 70 to 80% of our oxygen we breathe. So... The fourth trumpet that's poured out, I think I said the the second trumpet. It is the second trumpet. The meter hits and a third of the planet dies, meaning that the air is going to be mighty thin and people are going to walk around in suffocation. And so the plankton, when it it dies, but here it says the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and it became as the blood of dead men and every living soul died. I don't know about you, but dead fish stink. Dead fish stink. The one thing you've got to do with fish is when you catch them, you've got to clean them. And you've got to put them in a refrigerator, soak them in some salt water, or put them in the deep freeze. Because if you let that fish hang around on your boat for a week... Your fish sandwich is going to be mighty tender. The thing about fish is you've got you to gotta get to them quick or they'll rot quickly. And can you imagine all the fish and all the creatures in the sea dying, coming to the top, and the whole sea is covered with dead fish, dead plankton, dead everything, and the, earth beco- the sea becomes blood. That's the blood of a dead man. Now, it does say, as the blood of the dead men. So let me insert something here. How many ever heard of red tides? Red tides. And the red tide is where the plankton, algae gets sideways and the ecosystem gets out of whack and it produces a red tide. Some of the red tide can be very toxic to fish and cause them to die. Am I saying that that's the case? No, but I'm saying that there's possibility. God has a lot of worms in his fishing bucket to catch fish. Amen? God has a lot of ways. Does he turn this sea into blood? He might. He could. He turned the Nile into blood in, in uh, Exodus 9, 10, and 11. Now, look at the, the third angel. Poured out his vial upon the rivers of the fountains of waters, and they became blood. Fresh water became blood. Now, notice in verse 3 it says that it became as blood of dead men. But in verse 4, it says it became blood. So one says, As blood, the other one says, Blood. I take that literally. Then you had the pep talk from the angel to God. We're going to close with this verse 8 because there's so much I've got to deal with the countries that come against Israel. We're going to talk a little bit about Ezekiel uh, chapter uh, 38 and, uh, and 39. Look at some of those things, but but um, let me let me say real quickly. Um, everybody wants to know about the battle of Gog and Magog and wants to talk about you know the the battle of uh, of Russia coming down. Let me just say this before we get any confusing marks: Russia will keep bounding back. Rush and Gomer. Um, These enemies will keep bounding back. And we need to understand that the first attack against Israel could happen now. And it most likely will happen during the first part of the Great Tribulation. The second attack will be at the end of the Great Tribulation, and all nations will assemble against Jesus. After the millennium, like a bad headache, it, riles, it rallies back, and there's a battle between Gog and Magog. It's just like, you know, it just keeps coming back. And so a lot of people get Ezekiel 38, 39 mixed up with, hear me, when you see Russia come down on Israel, when you see, see Russia make an alliance with Iran, which has already happened. When you see those things starting to happen, it just means that it's it's getting ready for the first battle. The beautiful part about this statement is they lose. Ezekiel says they lose. But they'll be sore losers because they'll try to do it in the great tribulation. Now, I got sidetracked and I shouldn't have, but I just wanted to, Wet wet your whistle a little bit there. But notice. um, The fourth angel pours out his vial upon the sun. And power was given unto him. Unto him to scorch men. With fire. And when men men were scorched. A great heat to blasphemy. The name of God which had power over these plagues. They repented not. To give him glory. Now. Let me say something about this great heat. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26. Go to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26. The Bible says the sun will be given more heat. Let me show you something that's very interesting. We're going to look at verse 25 of, of Isaiah 31st, and then we're going to look at verse 26. But this is talking about the last battle, a great battle, the battle of Armageddon. And there shall be upon every high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of water in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Now the towers means leaders, people in great positions. I remember when the Twin Towers in New York City Fail people use this scripture a lot, but the truth it's basically saying the towers of great authority like Babylon and and, and all that will fall. Nimrod's kingdom, that all fall. In that last day. Why is there rivers and streams flowing from the mountain? Remember I shared with you that it would be raining on the day of the Armageddon battle? It would be raining. I shared those scriptures with you a few weeks ago. But notice also in verse 25, rivers will come out of the mountains down from the high mountains, high hills and rivers, streams of water into the day of great slaughter when the towers fall. Remember in Revelation 14 verse 20, blood will flow to the what? Horses bridle. So it'll be raining. Water will be coming down out of the mountains to do what? To wash the blood away as Jesus comes, King of kings and Lord of lords, to conquer and the rule and to reign. When's it going to happen? It's going to happen during these last seven vows of the wrath of God. Look at verse 26. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold, at the light of seven days in the day of the Lord, when he bindeth up the breach of his people, that's Israel, and healeth the stroke of their wounds. Now, whether that sun will be seven times just brighter or seven times hotter, I'm not sure. But according to the vial that I read to you in Revelation chapter 16, where the angel poured out his vial upon the sun, according to that phrase, there's a good chance By scorching men with great heat, verse nine, they won't repent. The sun is intensified. There's a good chance, according to Isaiah 30 verse 26, that it won't won't be just illumination; it'll also be heat. Now, if the sun's seven times hotter, what happens? If the 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 sun's seven times hotter, you don't go outside or your skin will fry like an egg. But if it's seven times hotter, it'll do something else. It will melt all the glaciers, melt all the ice caps, and it will raise the sea level 200 feet. New Orleans is what, six, seven feet under sea level? The only reason New Orleans isn't swamped is because they have pumps that work 24 hours a day that pumps the water back into the sea. Why? Because New Orleans is is below sea level. They bury their dead above the ground because New Orleans is below sea level. And they use the pumps to send the water out. That's why Katrina was such devastating because it was already below sea sea level and they couldn't pump the water out. Did you know New York City is just, what, like nine feet above sea level? I wrote, wrote some of that down. It might be interesting. Real quick, let me just share with some of the thoughts that I had here. New York City is 30, 33 feet above sea level. Uh, Miami, six feet above sea level. We already talked about New Orleans. Orlando, 26 feet above sea level. Galveston, six feet above sea level. What I'm simply saying is, if the sun gets that hot for a very long time, the sea level will rise and all the cities will be buried in water. Sound like great devastation. And so, God is, how's that for global warming? Al Gore needs to read this 16th chapter of Revelation, he might change his figures. But, and by the way, it's, you know, global warming, I believe in global warming. It's in July and August. And I believe in global cooling. It's in December in January. So, preacher, don't you think the earth's getting hotter? Yeah, and it's getting more wicked too. But it isn't the environment or the climate that we need to be worried about. It's not global warming. It's not climate change we need to be worried about. It is our sin that we must be worried about. It's our attitude concerning same-sex marriage. It's our attitude concerning aborting and killing little babies in the womb. And now out of the womb of its mother, it's about the, the perversion and the and, and no one can decide whether they're male or female anymore. It's about the, the, the abomination, the denial to worship God, trying to build its own utopia. It's all about that. I said, it's all about that. And one day God will have enough of it and he'll come. And when he comes, he'll take us as a church home and he'll deal with this mess. Now, he won't do it out of pleasure because he's not willing that any should perish. He won't do it out of happiness or joy because he is, takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's going to do it because it has to be done. It has to be done. Earth has got so messed up That the only thing that's gonna fix earth is it's gotta start over. And your life can be so messed up that the only thing that's gonna fix your life is you gotta start over. And you gotta start over with Jesus Christ. And the world will start over with Jesus Christ. The world must start over with King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you must start over. Your life's in a mess. It'll stay in a mess until you start over with Jesus Christ. Well, I'll turn over a new leaf. You can turn over the whole tree and it ain't going to change your life. You need Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I want to do what I want to do. Yeah, and then you can die in your sin. It's time to do what God wants us to do. I want to do what I want to do. Well, what about doing what God wants us to do? What does God want us to do? It's for our good. God never takes anything from us that doesn't need to be removed. And he never takes something out of our life that he doesn't replace it with something better. God never leaves you an empty bucket. He takes your full bucket of slop. He dumps it out, cleans the bucket up, and fills it up with buckets of sweet things, beautiful things, pure things. That's our God. Isn't that beautiful? Now, next week, we're going to look at these nations that's going to assemble against Jesus. Actually, some say, well, it's all against Israel. Actually, it's against Jesus. They're gathering to fight Jesus. But we're going to talk about those things, talk about the drying up of the Euphrates River, the four angels that were removed, what, in chapter 9, or might have been chapter 8. Anyway, in Revelation, the angels released the four angels that were loosed in the Euphrates River. Army can pass over through the Euphrates. Talks about the attack coming upon Israel and the gathering place. You know, I I saw a video clip of, of Megiddo Armageddon, you know, the Valley of Jezreel, Jehoshaphat, all through there, Hebron Valley, all those valleys connect. And I see such a vast valley. And I used to think, well, the battle's going to be there. No, it ain't. The battle's going to be in Israel. And the blood's going to spill out from Israel down into the valleys. Will God stop? No, He won't stop. He's going to keep on going through the valley. There'll be a slaughter in the valley. But I'm convinced that the slaughter in the valley will be the brilliance of His coming The brilliance of Jesus coming. The light of his coming. And that slaughter will be through the coming of Jesus Christ. And the masses that assemble together to fight are going to be literally destroyed. We're going to see that next week. And we're going to talk about Euphrates River drying up. We're going to talk about what nations there'll be. And it's, you know, I'm just amazed. You say, "Where's, where's America in this? I don't know. I really don't know where America will be at this time. It's so corrupt now, I'm not sure where it'll be. If we're taken home, I know it'll be pretty anemic. The church is caught up, America will be pretty anemic. But I'm not sure where America will stand. If it keeps going the way it's going now, it won't stand the way it stood 100, 200 years ago. I know where I stand, and I know where you that love the Lord, I know where you stand. But I don't know. I, I, you know, I just don't know. Uh, the Bible's pretty quiet about America. But then it was pretty quiet about the church in the Old Testament too. So, pretty cool. I, you know, I brought something heavy today. I understand. I brought something heavy. And the most precious thing that I can say to you and I today. Is that God don't want to do what he's going to do. He's a good God. And before he does what he's going to do, he's going to take us home. And he's going to do everything in his power to get people saved during the great tribulation. Angels even preaching. Plague after plague, the gospel, 144,000, the two witnesses. He's going to do everything he can to get people saved. And then when it comes time for that last, final, seven trumpets, judgments of the vows of the wrath of God, God's just going to lock himself in his throne room. And with tears streaming down his cheeks, he's probably going to say to his angels, just go do it. And when it's done, he'll say to his son Jesus, the Father, go get Go get your people. Go get Israel. Go gather the nations that love you. Go gather the nations that treat Israel right. And King Jesus will sound the trumpet. And the church will assemble behind him. We'll be in heaven. Probably on the sea of glass. And Jesus will say, come with me. And we'll gather with Jesus, and angels will shout, Can I go too? Can I go too? And Jesus will bring a myriad of angels and his church with him. And Jesus is going to come down in that great battle of Armageddon. He's going to conquer, then he's going to clean up, and then he's going to build. And we'll get to see all that. The book of Revelation is awesome, isn't it? Stand with me. We're given invitation. Hope this helped you understand chapter 16 a little better. Because when you read Revelation, you think God's just mean. God is not mean. God is holy. God is just. God wants you to live forever with him. God wants to save you. Don't read the book of Revelation without seeing these beautiful nuggets of truth. Please don't read the book of Revelation and only see the wrath and the judgment and the pouring out of blood and devastation. Please don't read it that way. Read it in the way that God intended it to be read. He wants all men to come to repentance. He wants to clean up planet earth. He wants to give a new heaven and a new earth. That's what he wants. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's not about scary time. It's about this is what God's going to do. It's what God has to do. Amen. Now, if you're not saved, say, well, I don't even know what saved is. If you feel uneasy in your heart right now and you feel like, you know, I, I really need to be ready. If I met God right now, it wouldn't work out too good. Maybe you're in this room right now and you feel in your heart, you know, I don't think it would be a good meeting if I met God because there's sin in my life. I want to invite you right now, as y'all sing, I want to invite you right now, step out from where you're standing or sitting, come down to this altar and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I've done wrong. And I want to know you. And I want you to forgive me. And you beg Him to forgive you. And you come to repentance, you turn from your sin and let God give you eternal life. Would you do that right now? The altar's open. Go ahead, God.